Amen. And we do welcome our internet audience to this service today. It's a real joy to preach to people who are present. But we have, because of technical opportunities, we have uh, every way in the world to preach to many people we'll never know until we get to heaven. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And I want to hear... I want you to hear me read for you verses 1 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, I preach and have been preaching now for 70 years out of the King James Version of the Bible. And there are some expressions and some phrases in the King James that many times it's foreign to us because we, we were not born over in another part of the world and we didn't learn English as they learned English. But when he says here, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, it means we would have you to know. This is something that we need to know. We would have you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. There were several churches started in Macedonia. Two primary ones were the church at Philippi. We know it as the church of the Philippians and then the church at Thessalonica. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Join those two together. Deep poverty and liberality. Deep poverty and liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints or to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, See that you abound in this grace also. <clears throat> I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness. It's a good word. In the Greek it means with speed and with eagerness. In East Texas we'd say, don't drag your feet. I mean, let's get after it. I speak not with commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do so, also to be forward or willing a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it 
And as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. I want to share with you some thoughts this morning from our text in verse number 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Paul in this chapter was endeavoring to stir up the Corinthians to liberality. He desired them to contribute something for the poor saints who were still in Jerusalem suffering. It was to be a designated love offering from Corinth to the church in Jerusalem and the saints down there. He reminds them that the churches of Macedonia, though much poorer than the Corinthians, had given above their ability. We picked up on that as I read a few moments ago. Uh, The church at Corinth was quite wealthy. The church at Macedonia, along with Philippi and Thessalonica, were poor churches, and yet they were outgiving the church at Corinth to the poor saints down in Jerusalem. Sometimes when you compare a stronger to a weaker, it does not produce the results you expected. Therefore, Paul appeals to them with a stronger motive for giving to this special offering. That is to imitate Christ in giving. And then he gives them our text. Notice he no longer labors the point that the churches in Macedonia didn't have the money, but they gave more than you did down in Corinth. But he gives them a higher motive for giving, and that is what Christ did and what he became for us, that we might become like him. A knowledge of grace is the example of Christ, and it ought to make us love to give to his service. We do it because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know about grace without knowing grace. You can learn all the doctrines and study all the theology and not know grace. You can know about it, but you can't know it apart from a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A person has to be saved to know that grace is a marvelous attribute of God because it deals with God doing to save those who did not deserve to be saved, who were sinners. It deals with the condescension of the Lord and the downward stoop of the Creator to reach the creature. Now, this was not a new subject. Paul had already contacted the church at Corinth a year ago when he was up in Galatia. And he said, the churches of Galatia are giving to this special designated offering. How about you folk down in Corinth? You contributing on the first day of the week. You remember that passage over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16? It's what he's talking about a year earlier. 
Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, Paul was finishing up his ministry in Galatia to go into Macedonia at that particular time. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And by the way, he sent an apostle's friend, Titus, down to take this offering to the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering. So well, why were they suffering? Well, that's where the church started. It started in Jerusalem. And it was a primary target of a man by the name of Paul before God ever saved him. He sought to destroy the church at Jerusalem. Another thing, because of their government, in that church at Jerusalem, the people pulled their money together and they saw that the membership left, rather lived off of that which was taken up. There were a lot of reasons why they had begun to face some poverty and they needed some help. And you would think that Corinth would jump right in there. And so Paul gives them really a motive for giving to this offering and that concerns what Christ did and what is revealed in our text. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, Christ was rich. Christ was rich. Number two, Christ became poor. He was not poor, but he became poor. And number three, he did it in order that sinners might be rich. What a motive for giving. Number one, Christ was rich. Christ was rich. Think not that Christ began to live when he was born of the Virgin Mary. Never forget that Christ is the eternal God. And you need to look at him when he was rich. There was a time when he was rich. In the book of Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 17. The book of Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 17. It begins by saying who, referring to God the Father hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is, that's Christ, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. 
He had just previously said in verse number 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. The firstborn, the Greek word protokos, protodokos. And it means first in rank and position, not necessarily first in time. But here it is used in rank and position. Christ Jesus was and is number one. He's the firstborn of God. First Timothy chapter 1, verse number 17. Now under the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Consider how rich he was. Christ was rich. Consider how rich he was. An individual just this last week wanted to buy Twitter. And he happened to have a little extra change in his pocket. And he paid $44 billion for Twitter. That cannot even begin to be compared to the riches of our Lord Jesus Christ. The wealth of the Son of God Himself. How rich was He? He was rich in His power to create. Now that's most important. Rich in His power to create. Not to make, there's a difference in making something and creating something. And Jesus Christ had the power to create. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse number 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Whatever the Lord wanted, He created. Now let that one sink in a little bit. Whatever the Lord wanted, He created. And if He did not create it, He didn't want it. He created what He wanted. Now, that's some kind of power. That's some kind of wealth. You say, Brother Cozart, why don't you just go down to the car? You've been driving that car for many, many years now. Why don't you go down and buy you a new car? I'd tell him in a minute, I don't need to. You say, well, why don't you need to? I'm going to create me one. Huh? You say, Brother Cozart, it's time for you to buy a new suit of clothes. Well, no, I don't want to buy a new suit of clothes. I just create them. If you've got the power to create, you have all power. And you're the most wealthy person in all the world. Because, my dear friends, whatever the Lord wanted, He created. A man is said to be rich who needs nothing and wants nothing. Christ is self-existent. He doesn't live off of anybody and He doesn't live off of anything but Himself. Christ is not only self-existent, He is completely independent. He could have created more than He did... 
He could have made a million universes just as easily as he made one, but he is in need of nothing. Paul said Christ was rich. Was rich. He was rich in the ownership of his possessions. Those things that he created belong to him. He is the owner of the possessions. In the 50th Psalm, let me read that for you. Verses 1, 10 through 12. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun and the going down thereof. For every beast of the forest is mine. Did you hear that? Every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle upon a thousand hills, to which someone has rightly added, and even the thousand hills belong to him. I know all the fowls of the mountains. Did you Did you know that? that he knows all the fowls of the mountains. And the wild beasts of the field, they are mine. If I were hungry, I'm reading the scripture. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. It belongs to somebody. And that somebody is the Lord Jesus Christ who made it. And not only did he made it, make it, but he possesses it. In Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Fly as high as you wish. Dig as low as you can. From pole to pole, it all belongs to Him. He holds it all in His hand. How rich was He? rich in his power to create, rich in the ownership of his possessions. And number three, he was rich in the power of his authority. What kind of authority did the Lord Jesus Christ have before coming to this earth? In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times, and in divers manners spake in time past, under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom, watch this, <laughs> he's spoken unto us by his Son, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, and that is plural there, not the world. He made the worlds. We're not talking about the one you live in. We're talking about all the worlds that are in existence that we've never seen before or may never see. He made those who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Christ in his pre-incarnate state in glory was rich. How rich was he? He was rich in his power of authority. 
He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That's Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 11. He was rich in the honor of his glory. What does that mean? Well, in John chapter 17, verse number 5, he's praying the intercessory prayer in that passage of Scripture. And he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. Christ was rich. He was rich. He was rich. In the honor of his glory, the angelic host was continually before him in worship and praise. Those angels would line up before the Lord every day as it were a day and accept assignments to go all over the creation carrying out the will of the Father and the Son. He was rich. The seraphim in Isaiah chapter 1, they flapped their wings crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And those four living creatures in Revelation chapter number 4 cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. How long have they been crying that out before there was time? And they rest day nor night. 2,000 years ago, they were crying it, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years later, today, my dear friends, on May the 1st, 2022, they're still saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's a long time, don't you think? If a man lives to be 80 years old, you know what that means? That means his heart's been working for 80 years. It's a very important organ. It is a very important part of life itself. So important, my dear friends, without the heart, there's nothing. And we place so much time about my heart. What is my blood pressure? Uh, the, the chain, I, uh, the pain I feel in my chest and things of this nature because we know that it's been working for a long time. i tell you what a long time is before the world was. God put those angels busy praising Him. Holy, holy, holy. And they never have stopped and they never will stop throughout eternity. I'm trying to get you to see this morning Christ was rich. He was rich. Now number two, Christ became poor. He became poor. Oh, how the angels must have responded when the news was released in heaven that the king would leave there and come to this earth and be enshrouded in clay. One preacher said, and I concur, heaven must have gone into mourning when that time occurred. That he left his riches and became poor. He became poor. How did the Lord 
become poor. When you have everything, how do you become nothing? He became poor in what he became. Now, when he came from heaven to this earth, what did he become? Philippians 2, 7 says, He was made in the likeness of men. What a step. What condescension. All the way from God to man. How far was that step? From the creator to the creature. From the king to a lowly servant. From the wonder of glory to a worm of the earth. And from everything to nothing. He became a man. He became a poor man. He became a servant man. And he became a sinner man by imputation. Our sins were placed on him. Mr. Spurgeon, who seldom is wrong, was not wrong in this case when he starts addressing the angels. When he's preaching, he starts talking to the angels. And he says, and now wonder, you angels... The infinite has become an infant. He upon whose shoulders the universe doth hang, hangs at his mother's breast. He who created all things and bears up the pillow of creation, hath now become so weak that he must be carried by a woman. And oh, wonder ye, O you angels, You knew him in his riches and only admire him in his poverty. I ask you a question, angels. Where sleeps the newborn king? Had he the best room in Caesar's palace? Hath he a cradle of gold been prepared for him and a pillar of down on which to rest His head? No. Where the ox fed, in the dilapidated stable, in the manger, this is where the Savior lies, swathed in the swaddling bands of the children of poverty. He was rich. He became poor. He became poor not only in what he became, but he became poor in his possessions. In John 7 verses 53 and chapter 8 verse 1, it says that every man went to his own house. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Everybody else after the service went to their own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So why did he do that? Because he didn't have a house. The Bible says foxes have holes. 
and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. That's why when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's always going somewhere else because he had nowhere else to go. He had no home. He became poor. You know what poor is? Do, you really, do we have any idea what poor really is? He was rich, but he became poor. Poor in his lack of possessions. He wore a simple robe of poverty. He rode into Jerusalem on another man's donkey. He died on another man's cross. He was laid in another man's tomb and he died hungry and thirsty. Even on death row, a prisoner gets his choice of meals. But Christ died hungry and thirsty. Had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. He became poor in his friends. We recognize many times individuals who seem to have a friend in everybody. Nobody has a friend in everybody. You don't. About the time you think they're your friend, it's over with. Jesus Christ became poor in his friends. Christ became a man with no friends. Let that sink in a minute. Christ became a man with no friends. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. While I'm teaching this morning, is it okay if I get a little preachy? When in the world, Brother Cozart, would we hide our faces from him? On Sunday morning, when your church is meeting to worship God, you're out in the world. Many of you are. I'm glad you're here today. But we got a bunch of our folk today that have hidden their faces from the Lord Jesus Christ for the pleasures of this world. And that's one reason why the churches are getting emptier and emptier. It's because we hid our faces from Him and enjoyed something else far more important than Him. Peter denied him. Do you know when Peter denied him? He denied Christ after the Lord saved him from drowning. It was Peter who said, I'll just walk on the water. And he tried to do that and he sunk and said, Lord, save me. And the Lord saved him. And Peter a little later said, I don't even know this guy who he is. Huh? 
Judas betrayed him. And all the time Judas was betraying him, Christ looked at him and said, You're my friend, Judas. You're my friend. And ultimately, all of the disciples forsook him. All of them. All of them. He became poor in his shortness of life. Only 33 years. Can you imagine? 33 years is such a short time if that's all the time you have. 33 years. He had so little of life. Methuselah lived 969 years. Christ lived 33 years. He became poor. He became poor in his reputation. In Philippians 2.7 it says he made himself of no reputation. He never went around tooting his own horn. He said, I've come but for one thing, and that's to do what God the Father sent me to do and to tell you what God says. And that's what he did. And that's why they hated him and put him on the cross. He was treated with scorn and contempt. He was accused of illegitimacy. He was called a wine-bibber and gluttonous. They spat in his face and pulled his beard, they stripped him naked, and they blasphemed him. He was rich, but he became poor. Man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. The third part of this text, why did he become poor? Why did Christ leave heaven and become poor on this earth? Why did he do that? For your sakes, that you might be rich. He did it for you. So that you might be rich. He came... And became what we are, that we might be what He is. For your sakes. It's a good phrase there. For your sakes, that you might be rich. All of His poverty, all of His pain, all of His suffering, all of His humiliation was for you and because of you. Why? That you might be rich. In what way? Rich in position. The Bible describes those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and are devoted to receiving Him as Lord and Savior. They are the sons of God. Not the sons of Belial or the devil, but the sons of God. In John 1.12, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. 
God the Father only had one begotten Son, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not the Son of God. We are a Son of God, and all of God's children. We're sons of God. Not only sons of God, but we are heirs of God. Well, I like the ring of that, don't you? Heirs of God. Well, we kept hoping and maybe waiting for Uncle Willie to die. And finally he died. <laughs> Guess what I got from him? Just a bowl of snakes and fish and worms, that's all. Heirs of God, what does that mean? That means that all that God is and all that God has, you have access to it because you are a son of God and you got that way because he who was rich became poor for our sakes that we might be rich in position and join heirs with Christ. I do not know what went into the mind of that prodigal son who finally decided, as he was getting ready to have breakfast with the pigs, and to have another plate of slop, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I'll go to my father and I'll say unto him, Father, I've sinned and I'm not worthy to be called thy son. And what did the son say to the father? He admitted his poverty And the Bible says, the Father said, bring forth the best robe. (laughs) Bring forth the ring and bring forth the shoes. And in Luke chapter 15 verse 3, he said to the Son, Son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. That pictures the generosity and benevolence of God Almighty for His children who come to Him as they are, that they might be rich. Sons of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we might be rich in possessions. We have a tendency to attach importance to the acquirements of material goods to judge whether a man has wealth or not. May I say, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ today, you are rich in justification. Rich in justification. All of our sins have been forgiven us, past, present, and future, because of what Christ did on the cross. We're rich in sanctification. We're rich in adoption. We're rich in forgiveness of sins. We're rich in sovereign grace. Rich. Rich. And then we're rich in promises. Whose promises? The promise of the Father to us. What has He promised us? Let me enjoy this just a minute. The promise that when this old body is worn out. (laughs) We have a new one in glory that will never wear out. We're rich and don't even realize it. There are some promises that He has given us while we live on this earth. And this is where we are today. We We live on this earth. 
And He's given us some promises in Psalm 139, verses 17 through 18. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Listen. When I awake, I am still with thee. Hey, have you ever awakened at night and you couldn't figure it out because you couldn't go back to sleep? And night can be such a long time. David said, when I'm awake, the first thing I discovered is God's still there. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. That's a promise. And Christ put it this way, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a promise. You're wealthy and don't even realize it. And so am I. And then there's a promise he makes to us after we die. So, well, I don't want to think about that. You will. You will. You might give some advance notice by a period of sickness. And everybody knows you can't continue to live as bad off as you are. Or it might be so instant that nobody could make any preparations for it. Not even the person who dies. Because the preparation's already been made. Let me read something for you that most likely some devoted minister will read at your funeral. Is that okay? It's always good. I like for the people to hear it before they are dead in a corpse. State in a coffin somewhere. Behold! Promise. Huh? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. You really can't appreciate that until you stand a little bit and spend a little time looking at yourself in the mirror. And you say, boy, I'm glad I'm going to be changed. Amen. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I firmly believe, dear church, that every believer within five seconds after he dies will say, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Because of this text, it should motivate us five ways. And I'll not spend an hour on each one of them. 
just mention them to you. If that be so, and I believe it's so because it's scriptural, that he who was rich became poor, that we might be rich, because of that we should love him. We should love him. Number two, we should trust him. Number three, we should serve him. Number four, we should share him. And number five, we should follow him. Are you following him today? Let's stand please for prayer.